How much do you know about the human sacrifices practiced by the ancient Aztec Empire? I'm sure you know that they did it. Everyone knows that they did it. But do you know why they did it? The Aztecs were advanced beyond advanced. Medicine, engineering, communications, math, astronomy, these cats were off the charts. They built one of the greatest empires this hemisphere has ever seen. Top five, anyway. They were also a people who considered themselves indebted to the gods. And this was the sort of debt that could only be paid in blood sacrifice. Animals and people were offered up on a regular basis to the various deities that controlled the world, one of which was Huitzilopochtli, who was the god of the sun, the god of war, and the god of human sacrifice. The sun, you see, did not move on its own. It took blood to keep it coming back every day. Initially, the gods had been the first ones to sacrifice themselves, to, to get the sun moving, and now the ball was in our court. It was time for humans to pay it back. And if this blood debt was not paid back, then the sun would no longer rise. It would be eternal night. From their perspective, you could see how it might be worth making a blood sacrifice every now and again. The Aztec civilization might have been crushed, but their beliefs and some of their rituals lived on. Because this wasn't a cult, this was a religion. This ritual was the one act that brought order to the chaos of the world. With such an important burden to carry, it's not that crazy to see why the rituals might have been passed down from person to person, from family to family, from congregation to congregation down over the centuries. It's not even that crazy to see while there might still be true believers in the sun god to this very day. But you know what is crazy? What is crazy is that the Aztecs might have been right. I call this one Morning People. Drinking whiskey in the kitchen and telling scary stories around the fire. Music, monsters, and mayhem, killers, cannibals, and cults, fearful fiction and furious fact, tall tales, and terrible truths. This is a scary home companion. Sean Brady was a substitute teacher and a single dad on his way to starting a new life in a new town on a new coast. There had been a long and very messy court battle, but finally he had won full custody of his children, and now he was moving back to California to the town where he grew up so that he could try and start over. With him were his kids, three daughters, McKenna, Michaela, and Mackenzie, his ex-wife had named them all, something that now he 
keenly regretted not fighting harder against. Sean always was passive. They were driving through a remote southern stretch of Montana, and it it had been a long day on the road, and it being the second long day on the road made this seem all the longer. And worst of all for Sean was this middle-of-nowhere type stuff. So uh, just to break up the monotony, he took a wildly overgrown off-ramp from the two-lane highway and followed a sign that was labeled Gas Food Lodging. Sean assumed that it would be a town and maybe he could grab some Happy Meals for the kiddos, fill up the tank, kick their heels up a little bit. The sign ended up being very literal and there was only gas, food, and lodging. The gas station, the diner, and a teeny tiny hotel were all part of the same little complex of very old, very worn out looking houses. But they were there, so hey, what the heck. They went to the diner, ordered some burgers and fries, and uh, the waitress told them that there was a little sitting area outside behind the place right next to a lake. So they went out there to eat, and it was honestly quite charming. The kids got to run around and get their crazies out for a bit, and Sean, he just laid back on the grass and looked up into the clear blue sky. Just like that, he decided they were going to get a room and stay the night. Let the kids play a bit, order some milkshakes later on, watch TV in the hotel room, and go to sleep early for once. This, this was a good plan. They're all having a pretty nice time when a big old RV rolled up to the gas station, pouring smoke out from under the hood. About a half dozen people jumped out of this RV, and they're all coughing and sputtering. Sean and the girls sort of clustered together and watched the drama. He noticed that the RV, sort of suspiciously, had all the windows except for the windshield completely blacked out, which is sort of methy, but the people who were now hacking and clearing out their lungs, these didn't look like meth heads. They looked, well, like tourists, maybe, or very poorly dressed surfers. Flip-flops, loose-fitting pants and shirts, straw hats. Four men and two women who were all sunbaked to an alarming degree. There are sunburns and there are sunburns. But this, this was sun poisoning 15 levels deep, sun poisoning down to the bone. This was the sort of flesh that was baked in a slow cooker and then Flash broiled to a cherry red, and all of them had these disgusting large patches of white skin that was peeling off of them. And as they hacked and coughed and waved their arms, little flakes of skin started fluttering all around them like snowflakes. These odd-looking folks in faded clothes went into the garage, I guess, to see about repairs. And Sean went back to relaxing with his kids. The rest of the day went according to plan. And as the evening rolled around, they all sat in hotel rooms, slurping down milkshakes and watching YouTube videos of people playing video games on Sean's laptop. The golden dusk 
was starting to fade into streaks of purple and puce, Sean could hear some commotion coming from out in the parking lot, so he left the kids glued to the laptop and quietly stepped out for another room, where he saw that all six of the strangers were in a very heated discussion with the mechanic. He could only hear snatches, bits and pieces, but someplace important to be by dawn, people waiting, important people staying here is just not an option. But the mechanic was just shaking his head and shrugging over and over again. There's only so much the man can do, apparently. Eventually, the mechanic just left them shouting and went back inside, locked up the store with him in it. The strangers all went back to their RV, which was parked out front of the garage, apparently immobile. The evening was fading fast and the darkness was encroaching, so all six of them went inside the camper and hurriedly shut the door behind them. They pulled down blinds over the windshield, and all of a sudden, it must have been lit up brighter than day in there. Have you have you ever cupped your hand over the end of a flashlight in a dark room? Those little stray beams that get out between your fingers, they seem so bright, don't they? And that's what it was like coming out of this RV, little, powerful, thin beams of light pouring out of the cracks in the metal and around the edges of the doorframe. Inside, Sean could hear them all arguing. It was a violent argument. But then they went silent and started singing a hymn together. It didn't seem like English. It was certainly not a hymn he'd ever heard before. Something about it gave him a chill. So he went back inside. must have been a car backfiring in the garage next door because it sounded so close. He looked around and all three of his girls were still out, so quietly he put on his slippers and padded over to the window. It was 5.45 a.m., 32 minutes before daybreak. He saw that the RV was now standing wide open and there was blindingly white light pouring out of the door. It was so bright and his eyes were so bleary that it took a few moments to adjust and to see anything else out there in the gloom. And as his eyes started to be able to see into the darkness, he felt his stomach clench, his his jaw lock, his hands balled up into powerless, smooth, dainty fists. 
He looked away. He looked back over at his children to make sure they were still sleeping, to make sure they were still really there, to make sure any of this was happening. And then, hesitantly, he turned back to the window and confirmed that what he saw was real. Two of these strangers from the RV were dragging out a limp body from the front office. It was the clerk who had checked them all in. It looked like he'd been shot in the head. These strangers all wore bright lights on their hats, like miners. And they had several large banks of lights set up all throughout the parking lot, connected to the RV by extension cords. They were blasting the entire complex with floodlights as well that were mounted on top of the RV. There was another gunshot, and then two more. These two strangers dropped the dead clerk, went back into another room chasing the shots. There was a woman in a plain white dress who kneeled down next to the corpse. She closed the clerk's eyes almost delicately before taking out what looked to be a garden trowel with a jagged black blade. And as Sean watched on in horror, this woman stabbed the clerk in the chest and carved out his heart. She tossed it over her shoulder and then started arranging the body, stretching out the arms and legs. The other strangers returned, all five of them, dragging three more bodies. It was this trio of bros that uh, Sean had seen check in earlier. Like the clerk, all three of them had been shot in the head. They dropped the bodies in a heap in front of the woman with the blade and one of them, a, a very tall man with a wide-brimmed straw hat, pointed at Sean's room. His legs felt like they were mired in tar, and he was struggling to draw breath. Finally, he, he just shouted at his kids for them to wake up. And they did, but not fast enough. The tall man kicked at the door, and then he put a bullet through the knob, and kicked it wide open. He stepped in and aimed his gun at Sean. The man's eyes were so bloodshot. The meat of his face was so deeply sunburned that it looked like crispy chicken skin. Daddy, Mackenzie said. She was rubbing her eyes. The tall man looked at the girl, and he looked kind of sad. He said to Sean, it's unfortunate they're so young. I truly wish there was any other way, but there is not. He was in the middle of this heartfelt apology when Sean smashed that laptop against the side of his head. The man lost his gun and his straw hat. He was staggered, and Sean pushed him back through the door and slammed it shut. And then he picked up the gun. He shouted out a warning to the man. He he didn't know how to use a gun, but they didn't know that. Outside, the others were gathering. They were upset, and they were arguing now. Sean peeked through the blinds and saw them all bickering and pushing and shoving one another. Behind them, they had what appeared to be six bodies laid out in a semicircle. The tall man was standing outside the door and fighting to remain calm. He said, we are running out of time, sir. I know this is hard, but I assure you it is necessary. I swear to you that it will be quick for all of you. I give you my word on that. Sean 
tried to shoot through the door and put a bullet in the man's head, but the gun wouldn't fire. The man continued, Without the blood debt being paid, there will not be another sunrise. I know this is hard for you to hear, impossible maybe, but you and your children will die regardless. At least this way, you can help us bring about another day. As the man talked, Sean quietly herded the children to the back of the room. Earlier, he'd noticed there was a small wooden panel in the ceiling of their closet. As he lifted them up into the darkness of the crawl space above, one by one, he raised his voice to, to cover that noise, and he started shouting at the man. He started yelling at him about science, about how, did you know the earth revolves around the sun? The sun is a massive ball of burning gas. It doesn't rise at all. Our planet spins around it. Nothing any human has ever done or could ever do will stop the sun from rising on He didn't even have time to close the panel. The others had pushed past the tall man and they crashed through the door, stormed the room, knocked the gun from Sean's hand, and started to drag him outside. Strangers peered up into the darkness of the crawl space as if they were afraid of it. The tall man picked up his straw hat and put it back on. One of them said, It's too dark up there. Bring in some more lights. We'll go after them. No, it's too late. There's no more time. What do you mean? These are extreme measures. We need to bring him. Let's go. A man and a woman grabbed Sean by his upper arms and started dragging him outside towards the other bodies. He just went slack. He, he let them take him. If he thought 
if they were going to leave the girls alone, it would be worth it. Outside, the battered and half-conscious Sean saw that the sun was starting to approach the horizon. The air was getting lighter. The strangers, however, saw it differently. They were starting to panic. Time was drawing very short. The woman stood next to the six bodies. There's not enough. There's not enough here. We are here, said the man in the straw hat. The woman nodded and went back to scooping out the hearts of all the bodies laying around her. Six bodies laid out prone, their arms stretched over their heads, their fingers all touching in the middle with their feet pointing out, arranged like the face of a clock. Six tick marks filled, one through six, but six more needed, seven to midnight. Sean's feet dragged along the cement. He looked up and he saw the horizon starting to catch on fire. The light of the rising sun was different this morning than he had ever seen it before. It was darker and tinged, ugly maroon and sickness brown. Thick coils of angry pink storm front were rising out of the event horizon. And Sean realized he could hear something far, far in the distance, like a massive heartbeat from the dark side of the world, a heart bigger than the planet itself, as big as the sun, now throbbing, pulsing, just past the edge of sight. The morning started to grow darker, and the winds picked up. Everything seemed to be filtered through sepia tones now. This was not sunlight. This was the first stages of world-crushing darkness. The sun should have been rising, but it wasn't. It stayed hidden below the horizon as the colors of Armageddon started to amass. Sean heard a pop. He looked to his left and saw the woman who was holding his arm was letting go. Now her, her eyes were rolling down the front of her face in a waterfall of blood. He heard another pop. He looked to his right and he saw the man holding his other arm with the top of his skull peeled back like a box top, back to front. The brain matter was twitching and steaming in the morning air. That man fell too, unable to hold himself up. And Sean fell with them, collapsing between the corpses and laying still. The tall man was holding the pistol that Sean couldn't manage to fire. He turned and shot his other two men. The heart-scooping woman with the black blade held her hands up in supplication, and the tall man paused. And then she pressed her extended palms together, and she fell to her knees in silent prayer with her fingers steepled. She was smiling as he put the bullet in her head. Sean had a few seconds where the tall man had his back turned. And for the first time in his miserable life, the mousy man did not hesitate. For the first time, he didn't think about it too much. The dead woman next to him had a revolver in her belt. And he took it, and he stood up. The tall man was looking at the horizon, where the sun should have been. And he was weeping real tears, 
when he picked up the obsidian blade from the dead woman and he cut her heart out. If he realized that Sean was now standing up, aiming the gun at him with a trembling hand, he didn't let on, because there wasn't time. Instead, he moved to each of the other people, ignoring Sean entirely, and cut out their hearts one by one. He dragged the rest of the dead into position. All five of his traveling partners, five of the faithful, were now laid out like tick marks. Seven, eight, nine, ten. 11 o'clock, all laid out in a neat circle. Their hearts were all now piled up in a cluster on top of the extended fingers that made up the hub of this human wheel. Sean stared at the man over a trembling gun. He couldn't bring himself to squeeze the trigger. Past the tall man, he saw that the horizon was now black and purple and bruise-colored, with something that looked like congealed blood oozing up where the rays of the sun should be. The sky above him was gray. The winds were cold and shrieking. Daddy? The girls were standing in the doorway, watching. Who knows how long they'd been watching. Now he held the gun in both hands, and he squeezed one eye shut. The tall man got down on his knees right at 12 midnight, right at high noon. Do you see? He said to Sean. Do you see? Sean nodded. Daddy? You have to finish this, sir, please. When he saw that Sean wasn't going to pull the trigger, he pulled a gun out of his own coat. Will you finish it? He asked. Daddy? The tall man raised the gun and gave Sean the courage to fire. Wasn't a good shot. It hit the man in the belly and he he collapsed, dropping his gun. He didn't want to return fire. He just crawled into position and he stretched himself out to match the others right at the 12 o'clock tick mark. He laced his fingers in with the other fingers under that pile of hearts. Finish it. Sean looked down and saw that obsidian blade laying in front of him in a pool of blood. He looked up towards the rising sun and saw only growing foulness. He looked back towards the hotel and saw his three daughters framed in the doorway, staring on, confused, terrified. The pulsing had become louder and angrier. The pavement beneath him felt like it was growing warmer and starting to vibrate like a tuning fork. The light around him was so dim now. There was no sunshine, only growing blackness, a deep, unnatural blackness that was starting to pour over the horizon like a mighty flood of impossibly dense shadows. This was true darkness come to swallow up the whole world. Sean dropped the gun, and he picked up the obsidian blade. He looked to his daughters and with profound sadness said, I have to. And then he knelt over the tall man, and he carved out his heart. He used that blade to snap ribs and hack at veins until he could pull free the steaming, quivering mass of muscle 
and toss it into the center of the circle where it landed with the other 11. He blinked. That's all it took was a blink. Sean blinked, and the sky was now powder blue. He blinked, and the halo of the sun was now peeking over the rim of the world. He blinked, and his daughters were now hugging him, now weeping and laughing all at once. And he was too. Somehow, he got them loaded into the car. He didn't remember how he did it, nor how he answered their questions about the blood and the darkness at the edge of the world. He just blinked, and then he was driving, heading right towards the rising sun. His girls slept in the seats all around him, and he drew strength from the sound of their breathing. His hands were bloody, tight on the wheel. As he drove, he thought about tomorrow morning and if the sun would rise again and what he might have to do to make sure that happened. for listening to another episode of A Scary Home Companion. Please send feedback to the show to me at ascaryhomecompanion at gmail.com or you can find me under the same name on Facebook. If you're on the Twitter, look for me as Nateflix. Subscribe on iTunes or on Buzzsprout or click that little heart icon on Spotify. And by all means... I encourage all of you to leave a review for the show somewhere. The only way that I'm going to get better is by hearing from you guys what works, what doesn't. Fantastic music this episode. God Has His Sacrifice by Nurgle Jones. Song Darkness by Malt Tabulated Sounds. And another song called Sacrifice by Aviv Mark. And we're wrapping it up with Let the Sun Shine In by The Golden Dawn. Theme music, as always, performed by Chelsea Oxendine. Links to all this music are in the episode notes. Editing, musical arrangement, and sun lamps provided by Jeff Davidson. Last but certainly not least, 
This episode was brought to you, as all things are brought to you, by Wheatsy Lepochtli, Warrior God of the Sun. Thanks, big fella. So now.